Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're stepping into a passage that is very familiar to us. I dare say it might be too familiar to us, actually. In the sense that it's interesting that this passage starts out, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. It's interesting that this passage starts out with this encouragement to not lean on repetition and vain utterances and babbling. And yet I would venture to say that there are a lot of people who recite this particular prayer without thinking about its meaning, its word, and its weight and what it's saying. So it's in that, just like God, um, to remind us as we say this prayer that is so familiar with us to not say it without thinking it and applying it honestly and truthfully to our hearts. Um, and actually, in verses 5 and 6 of last week, let me read the passage. And when you pray, you are not to be as hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But if you pray, go to your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows that you, what you need before you ask Him. And then, as churches around the world are doing today, let's say this together. Pray then this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The short summary of those first few verses, really probably last week I should have structured that sermon differently to, to loop in verses 5 and 6 because they fall just exactly in line with our passage last week about giving our alms and motives and, and, um, and reward. And so in this passage here we, that we start out here, um, that's exactly what the Lord is, is kind of continuing that thought. So the short summary of those verses is that someone um, that's, is that when someone prays to impress, they're not really talking to God as they're really talking to others as they play like they're talking to God. And he says, and that is the reward they get. And that is very different than talking to God. And so to pray in such a way that you are trying to, and you're thinking about what people are thinking about your words as you say them, you know, the point of it is, is that those prayers are being heard here, but they have no vertical impact with him because your motive discounts that prayer. And so just like um, other things that Christ has said in his teaching, like, you know, cut off your hand or remove your eye, he is not entrust, in, instructing us to maim our bodies in those passages in an earlier portion of our series here. Instead, he is telling them that we should do all we can to avoid sin and the, long, and the lasting impact on sin in our lives. And so the same thing is true here 
where last week he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And this week he says, go into your inner room and pray there. He's not saying that that's the only place you pray. The point of it is, is that pray in such a way that your motives are not disturbed by wondering what other people are thinking of you as you pray. And so that's the point of that. That's, again, he's, he's trying to, to draw our attention to our motives and to keep our motives as pure as possible as we communicate with him. And so that's what he's after right there. But then we get into this next portion, 7 and 8 there. And there he says, and when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition. That would mean saying words that you've said many, many times over again, but you don't really pay attention to the words you say. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that, there be, that they will be heard for their many words. And so in other words, if I just keep talking to you, you'll pay attention to me. Now then, the first thing someone might do is, says, but what about, that, what about that, that other parable where the Lord says you keep knocking on the door until he gets answered? Well, he, he's talking about a different thing there because... Here, there's no relationship here. There's a lot more to that. And we'll even be talking about that as we continue to go through the parable and through this, this sermon and all. But he says, therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. And so this meaningless repetition really just means like a proverbial stammer. Um, it means to speak foolishly or to babble or um, to talk enthusiastically or excessively. You know, if you want to think about it, go back to... 1 Kings 18, I think, is where it's at. You don't have to go right now. Don't go there now because I want to keep us all together here. But you can go back to 1 Kings, and you can go back to the, um, the, uh, the duel between um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And there, it was like the, they would dance longer. They would cut themselves. They would scream more. They'd say it over and over again. They continued to do all that because they were trying to get God's attention to get him to respond. And in essence, if you just want to understand what the point of this, of verse 7 is, it's like, don't be like the prophets of Baal. Don't be trying to get God's attention. Because look at what he says in verse 8, because God already knows your needs. Don't be trying to do things to get God's attention. Don't try and use words, whatever it may be. Don't try and repeat it over and over again, whatever it may be. Because you, don't, you already have his attention if you're his child. He already knows your needs. So the idea is that talking much but without content or repeating the same thing over and over again, it means to speak. That's what this word, this, this repetition here in this phrase in the, in the original language, it means to speak um, by using the same words over and over and to speak without thinking. And the one who is praying assumes that the longer they pray, the more they pray, the more meaningful and effective it is. Charles Spurgeon says, it is not very easy to repeat the same words often without becoming a vain repetition. And that's what I said earlier about how this particular prayer, I think, becomes that for many people. It's this thing we say. I've been involved in studies, our churches. Um, I was involved with a study for a while at another facility. And it's like they wanted to say this every week. It was just, that was, every week I wanted to say this, and that's not wrong. But it's whenever we do something repetitively like that, we have to work harder to keep its meaning. And so for that very reason, and, and, and a point to illustrate that, is that I personally, I'll speak for myself, I personally believe that it's really hard to keep the meaning and the weight 
the worthiness of communion, doing it once a month. And so I would believe that that's, that's and so there's, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that everyone's allowed to make, but anything that we do a lot all the time, it very soon becomes like a thing we do as opposed to having purpose and intention in it. So Spurgeon says that um, a repetition, however, is not forbidden. He says, don't let it become a vain repetition. A repetition, however, is not forbidden, but a vain repetition is. It would not be wise. And how greatly... Do they err who measure prayers by the yard? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Who measure prayers by the yard. They think they have prayed so much because they prayed so long, whereas it is a work of the heart. It is the true pouring out of our desire before God that is the thing to be looking at. Jesus is making a nuanced statement here. Jesus himself prayed throughout the night, so he's kind of guilty of praying long prayers. You know right? But many of the prayers in Scripture are very, very short. Look at the prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18. And there it just simply is the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Very short, very to the point, very heartfelt. Look at the prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings 3, where God is having this discussion with him, and he says, what is it you desire? And he says, so give your servant a discerning heart, to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern a great people like yours? And you can find many prayers that are just like that, that are to the point. In, this, in an illustration of one of these prayers, others have included the prayer of, the, of the, the repentant thief who said, you know, remember me this day in your glory. And I, and I didn't, I mean, he's kind of talking to Jesus. I'm not sure. I guess you can call that prayer. I'm not sure. But they throw it in there. I'll leave that there for you to decide, all right? But the, instead, the motivating factor is not the length, of the, or the, the length of the prayer, the time of the prayer, the number of the words, or even the right words. Because many people who are younger Christians say, I don't know how to pray. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. If you're one of those people who feel like you're not sure how to pray, you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, I would just say to you, that's not, I mean, if you're speaking from your heart, you're not going to say the wrong thing. For your father already knows what's in your heart. And so in a moment, um, the, the right words it's not the right words, it's the relationship. And we're going to touch on that when we get further into our passage here. But it's interesting to note that you start the prayer with our Father, which is a relational statement. So instead, the real motivating factor, I'm sorry to say that. So instead, the first thing we have to deal with is the elephant in the verse, all right? He's not in this room, but he is in this verse. And actually, there's more than one elephant in this passage, all right? And that's verse 8. Therefore... Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so, you gotta be, someone in this room has to be thinking this. Okay, if he knows already, what am I praying about? What's the point of my prayer? Now, if you weren't thinking that, please raise your hand. Not really, don't. You would. Anyway, all right. Because it is just such a natural thing to, to, to ask. If God doesn't need the information, if he already knows, then what, is, what am I talking to him about? Re remember from our study of God's attributes that he is all-knowing. 
that he's omniscient, and that's the big word. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. You know, look at the passages you're familiar with, like from Psalm 139, verse 4 there, where it says that, that, um, that, there, that before there is a word on my tongue, he says, you know it. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. And therefore, he knows our needs before we tell him. He even knows our need before we know them. And he knows how to meet them before we've asked. He kind of knows a lot, right? So again, what's the point? Why tell him about it? Why come to him? Um, one of the thoughts I have about that is that think about this. And you don't, and, um, isn't it hard to sit through a presentation of information you already know? Is it just me? Someone please affirm me, okay? Isn't it hard to like sit through this thing when you already know it? Think about how patient the Lord is with us because he already knows it. And yet he says, please come. Please talk to me. Please tell me about it. What a good, good God we have. How patient and how loving he is and compassionate. The reason we pray and we talk to God about our needs, even though he knows them, is that in coming to him in prayer, we come to him in need. We come to him in need. We come to him admitting that we can't fix it. We can't heal Kylie. We can't stop war. That we can't do that. That we can't meet our needs, but he can. Coming to him as, as we would our earthly father, and many of us who have had earthly, earthly parents in a healthy relationship, you can go to them and you can say, this is what I need. And they will sit and they'll listen and they'll work with you to either meet the need or to help you get, take care of that need. And so our prayers are this expression of our need for him and his ability to meet our needs. We are affirming who he is. And so what is the very first thing in this passage? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I'm, I'm probably I'm going to get off my notes here, so I'm probably going to regret this in a minute. Hallowed be thy name. What he's saying right there is it's like going, you, who you are, is great and glorious and deserves praise. And so when we think about why do we come to him, we come to him acknowledging who he is. When we come to him, we say, our Father, when we say, dear God, and we begin to express our needs and we acknowledge his ability, we are hallowing his name. We are exalting him. And that's what he desires. That's what he's worthy of. And so we come to him admitting that we can't fix it, that we can't do it, that we can't make people be right, that we can't make people do make good decisions, that we can't make people not be evil. We can't stop them. And so we come to him and we say, we can't do this. And we're acknowledging his sovereignty. We're acknowledging his power. And it's a reminder that we are not, not self-sufficient. It should keep us small and it should keep him big. It reminds us of like in Ephesians 2, 8 and 2, 9, which is that passage that we often use about our salvation, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
You know, it, for, it's a gift. And, and, and he, the 2 9 says that our salvation is a gift so that we don't, so it's not a result of our work or our ability. So we can't boast. But I think that's what we're doing here too. We come to him, not because we have an ability, but because, but because we come in need. And in having that neediness about us, we can't boast about ourselves. But who are we left to boast about? Him. We're left to point to him. We're left to continue to, to claim and to speak of his faithfulness. So I'm going to just suggest, so a prayer that is meaningless, has meaningless words or is repetition is wrong. Now the Lord gives us an example of what is right. And I'm going to suggest that the prayer itself, verses 9 through 13, are, are, the, uh, are not the actual prayer we should pray, but instead they're a template for what we pray. Now if you pray this prayer, don't, don't get me wrong, all right? If you pray this prayer, Exactly how it is, that's not wrong. If you pray this prayer exactly how it is every day, that's not necessarily wrong. But I'm suggesting that the prayer is more of a template than it is a thing that he's asking us to pray every day. And so by that, this is what I mean. For instance, note the structure of the prayer. First, all of our attention is on God, his glory, his holiness, his name, his kingdom, his will. That's what it is. Verse 9, our Father who's art in heaven... Glory to be to your name. We want your kingdom. We want your will. We want it in heaven. We want it on earth. We want you. We acknowledge what you are, who you are, what you're doing, what you want is bigger, better, the best of anything we have. We acknowledge you. That's a great structure for any prayer. And to put it in your words is even better. And then he goes from, then the next section goes to give us this day our daily bread forgive us our sins help us to forgive those who sin against us don't let us lie in our temptation and stumble into evil so the next section is about our needs our relationship with him our relationship with others our holiness so i'm not saying that reciting this particular prayer is wrong or doesn't have merit but what i am saying is i believe that we will mean it when we personalize it and we apply the prayer to our own lives. Not necessarily, you know, it's, you know, he's not saying, give us this day our daily kale, all right? And no one would ever pray that, okay? But he is saying, he is saying, today, this is my life. My children's health is at risk. I need your help. I have this project at work. I don't know how to finish it. I need your help. I have neighbors that are hard to love. I need your help. I have a spouse who doesn't love you or me. I need your help. Whatever it may be, it's that we insert ourselves in there and we say, I have a need and you are the one who can meet it and I acknowledge that. So give me today the grace. Give me today the wisdom. Give me today the patience. Give me today what I need today to manage this day in a way that I honor you with my day. That would be one way of taking this passage and praying it in a way that is true to the the passage but reflects my own life. And all of that All of that is couched, is in this context of a conversation 
with a daddy. And perhaps I say, and that's why I say that it's best way to pray this is to personalize it. Because I didn't ever speak to my dad with memorized words. I talked to him as a real person who talked back to me. Think of the interactions we have with our loved ones. If they just say things, think of it like this. You know, um, uh, parents, you guys really understand this, and you may remember this as a kid. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You just said that. I know, but you told me to say that. You didn't mean it. You know, you want people to mean what they say. And so if I just say something off of a page because it's on the page, then how much of that is an expression of a relationship with a father? When we personalize it, what we've done is we've said, this is who I am, this is who you are, this is who we are together, and we, and we, and we are in a relationship with the father. It's not a religious duty to say the prayer. When we take it and we, and we put it into our words and our experiences and we talk to him the way we would talk to a father or we talk to him in the way we wish we had talked to a father if we didn't have one. When we do that, that's what he's looking for because that's who he is and that's who he wants to be to us. A father with a child. Matter of fact, if you pay attention I believe that this whole passage turns a corner and much of the rest of the passage from here on out, this occurred to me as I was preparing, so I didn't research all this, all right? But um, I believe that there's so much in the rest of the passage where it is very much kind of like a father instructing a child. You can read ahead and figure that out, okay? So... So that's what um, I was pointing to a moment ago when I said something about the, I, our, when we, about the relationship, the context of relationship. What I think I'm going to do is I have next week's sermon are prepared, all right, because it's the other half of this sermon here. We're going to stop right here, all right? Um, and we're going to go through the rest of the prayer next week, all right? And um, is that, where's Steve? I think we're okay to do that. Anyway, we have a sermon. I'm going to stop right there, all right? We have next week's sermon, I think. I don't know what's going on next week. So, anyway. Yeah, we're going to do this. All right, Steve. Anyway, he's coming in the room. So, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stop right now. We're going to pray. We're going to close off this. We're going to pick up this next week, and I'm going to throw off the preaching schedule, and everyone's going to be really upset with me about that. So, um, but we're going to do that right now because this is just too long today. All right? So let's pray. You can read ahead. This week is an exercise this week. Everybody take this prayer and personalize it. Write it down and, and write it in your own words. Write it down and put it in the way you would say it and apply your needs to it and just see what it looks like and all, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you very much for this day. And I thank you very much. I think that it is not, man, life, you are so perfect. I do not think that it is in any way at all, a coincidence that moments before I step to this stage today that we get Kylie's prayer request. 
And we take that little girl and we put her in this passage of, Daddy, we have a child we can't heal. Can you take care of her? That's who you are with perfect timing, with perfect intention all the time. To make this passage jump off the page to our hearts in a way that we can really experience coming to our Heavenly Father. This week as we go through our week, may we come to you daily and acknowledge your goodness and your greatness and seek you for our daily bread in every way that we need to for our daily life. And it's in your name we pray, amen.